Confession, I don't read them often. Correction, I never read them. You know what I'm talking about. There are these things they call the end-user license agreements or their terms and conditions. You know what I'm talking about, right? They pop up, uh, maybe it's a, it's a website you're going to or it's an app or something, you know, and they got this thing that pops up, right? You know what I'm talking about. And, uh, and they want you to check the box to say you agree before you can, whatever, go to the site or use the app. You know what I'm, ta- who, you know what I'm talking about, right? And, and you know, you, you go through these and it's page after page, and I don't know what it's talking about. But I'm supposed to give my full endorsement of this, this uh, contract, and uh, I just, I don't read them. I know I should read them. I know that I should read them. You know you should read them. But we often just don't. We will sigh yes, and we'll just keep going with our life, not realizing that we may have just signed away our first child. We don't, we don't know this for sure. We don't want our first children to know that. We don't sign. But it's funny that uh, sometimes companies will in the fine print, put some things in there. I don't know if you know that. Sometimes they will, and there's some famous ones out there. I'll share a few of them, but there was a, a researcher in, in Britain. He was writing an article for the NPR oh, probably a couple years ago, and he was, he was writing about these funny things that, that people agree to when they check that box. And uh, there was this one, this is pretty cool. There was this teacher in a small town in Britain that wrote back, she was about to take a, tra- like a trip somewhere, so she bought travel insurance, you know, that kind of protects you on your trip or whatever. Well, she read through the fine print, and in the fine print, it said the first person to email the company back would get a reward. So she sent the email. She happened to be the first one to actually respond. They sent her a check for 10 grand. Not kidding. Now, that, that would make your day. That makes me want to start reading the fine print a little bit closer. They found that like different different companies have have put weird stuff out there. In fact, you know how sometimes if you're in a public place or a coffee shop or whatever, and you want to use their Wi-Fi, you know the the internet wireless, and you 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 know sometimes you have to agree to stuff, right? Well, there was this place in New York where uh, they got twenty-two thousand people one day to agree to that, and in the fine print, let me read this. In the fine print, it said. I am agreeing to a, a thousand hours of community service, including cleaning toilets and relieving sewer blockages. They agreed to that. Now, I don't think they held them to that, but I think that's pretty funny. I mean, if I were writing those, you know I would put something in there like that. In 2017, or so a few, few years later, MailChimp, there, there's a, a company called MailChimp, and they put the, uh, in their fine print, they put in there, if you sign it, it said, we won't be held liable for any delays or failure in performance or any part of the service from any cause beyond our control. Such causes may include fires, earthquakes, nuclear accidents, and zombie apocalypse. That was in MailChimp's. That's kind of a famous one. And Apple iTunes was famous several years ago by putting this in their user agreement. They said, uh, uh, you are prohibited from using the software to construct weapons of mass destruction. That was in there. You were agreeing not to use a listening app to create weapons of mass destruction. But we're in this uh, series called Love Dates and Heartaches. And uh, I've been excited. This is something that's passionate on my heart. Um, Many of you know that Jackie and I will celebrate 27 years next month. And uh, in all these times that we've, we've, we've been in ministry and we've seen couples, we've, we've seen people struggle. And we see people struggling because they're making decisions that, that undermined a healthy relationship. 
And we see it over and over again. And sometimes people are making decisions with their eyes wide open. And so this is a, something that's passionate on our hearts because we want people to have, look, we all, I think, want that. We want, whether, no matter where you're at in the spectrum, you want a, a lifelong love. You want a story like ours, and some of you have. You want a lifelong love. You want you know, plenty of fun, healthy dates. And you want to avoid as many heartaches as possible. And that's why we are kicking into the series. We're in week two. And, uh, you know, it just hurts my heart to see people making decisions that undermine their relationship all the time. And last weekend, if you were here, if you weren't, that's okay. We, we were trying to debunk two very popular myths out there in the dating thing. Because the dating is confusing. And I've heard some of the horror stories from some of you about how dating is just really scary right now. And, uh, and we were trying to, to, to debunk, debunk some myths that create some confusion. One of them was the right person myth. That if we, you know, if we just find the right person, you know, all our bad habits are going to go away. You know, everything's going to work out. We're going to have this smooth, wonderful, lifelong love and marriage. And it's going to be like a hallmark moment. That's the, the lie that the right person's going to find. Because, you know, you, you see people and, and they think they got the right person because they're just totally infatuated. And then like a couple months later, you talk to them like, oh, well, they weren't the right one. I'm looking for the next right person now. And this cycle's over and over and over again, and it's exhausting. And the right person is a myth. The next myth we talked about was the, the right promise, that somehow uh, by, by, by signing the marriage license and putting a ring on and having a ceremony and having a big party, that right promise is somehow going to make a lifelong love. And, and we learned that, that really, in, in many ways, a commitment, just saying a commitment is kind of underrated. That we, we need way more than just making a promise or making, uh, saying our intention is to be with that person forever. This is a myth that somehow the vow and the ring and the party is going to make everything, everything good. And those are two myths that kind of make dating these days kind of difficult. And the bottom line is, you know, I think too often we're, 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 we're kind of fantasizing about finding the right person instead of becoming the right person. And that's really where we were kind of hitting that last, last week is becoming the person that the person you're looking for is looking for. And if you're married, becoming the spouse your spouse always wanted to be married to, right? So no matter where you're at in that spectrum, becoming who we are, not just finding that right person or saying the right promise. I mean, you think about that promise myth. We talked about that a little bit that, you know, we know that's not true in so many areas of life. You can't just say something, but then not actually follow through or have no disciplines or habits or those things because those are what really makes it. We talked about athletes and they can, they can promise to win a gold medal. They can promise to be a top quarterback. They can promise to be the best pitcher in the league, but that's, that doesn't hold weight to years of practice and becoming that athlete that can achieve that high uh, uh, accolades in, in, their, in their life. Athletes don't promise to win. They prepare to win. They're working. They're preparing to win. Prayer is wonderful, but prayer alone and pre preparation really are where, where it lies. It requires discipline. Now, some of you, let me just pause for a second. Some of you uh, know that we've been, we've been uh, talking about this uh, couple's checkup. 
and, uh, and that's a free thing for you. It's pretty valuable. Uh, we, we were uh, given a generous donation so that we can do this, and uh, I hope you take advantage of that. If you're, if you're married, um, it's, a, it's a great thing. If you're in a relationship, this is a great thing to kind of just go on, and, and each, you know, each of you need to do it separately. Don't be looking over each other's shoulder. Oh, you, how'd you answer that one? But it's like an assessment, and I, I hope you take advantage of that. And afterwards, you're going to get a report, and if you would like some, some help, maybe uh, we, have, we have some couples that can kind of sit down with you to look at the report. But Jackie and I took it. And, uh, and we, we rated our, 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 our marriage pretty high, but there was, there was one area that we need to talk about a little bit. Ironically, it's communication. <laughs> Moi? I need help with communication? I could talk in front of you, but, you know, no. So even 27 years in, there's still things that are, that are helpful to, to learn about. See, we're preparing to have that lifelong love still. We're not stopping, we're working, you know, on each other, on ourselves, and we're trying to become that person. I want to become the spouse that Jackie was always dreaming about way back in the day. And if you're dating, are you becoming the person that the person you want in your life is looking for? And that's, that's a big key today. And here, here's a truth bomb, right? We talked about this last week too. Following Jesus, I believe, makes you better. But following Jesus also makes you better at life. It's the game changer. In fact, last week we talked about his big game-changing statement. His big game-changing statement that was in John 15. You remember his statement? Love one another. Now, if we stop right there, that's, that's pretty good, kind of general. We're not, okay, love one another. I'm not sure what that means in certain circumstances. But Jesus didn't stop there. He said, love one another as what? As I have loved you. Now, when he said that, his disciples may have been, okay, well, that carries the ball a little bit more forward, but we're not totally sure what, what he means here two or three days later. They really understood what he meant because he went to that cross. And then they probably said, oh, love one another as I have loved you. And that was the game-changing command in relationships, in life, holding on to those principles. Because I think following Jesus not only makes you better, it makes you better at life. And this one command is the game-changer. And I was thinking about this too, that when you're dating or when you're younger, this is the opportunity you have to become that person that the person you're looking for is going to be looking for, where you're practicing putting someone else's needs above your own. You're practicing this one amazing command, this game-changing command of putting someone else's needs above your own. It's the perfect time. Become that person so that that day you meet that person, they're ready for you because they've been praying for you. That person who's putting someone else's needs above their own. It's learning to be not better in bed in dating. It's learning to be a better in life person. You know, it's, it's interesting how sometimes I'll do, I'll, you know, I'll do some, some premarital counseling and, and I hear different opinions about, you know, dating. And, uh, and, and, and I've heard this probably more than a few times is that, you know, well, you know, we're, we're dating and, and, you know, we're, we're, you know, we're sleeping together, but we're not married, but you know, that's okay. Cause I'll, I'll get, I'll, I'll be really good by the time I get married. Like somehow dating is going to make, you know, starting the, the, you know, your sexual relationship early is somehow going to make you, prepare you for a better, that does not do that, by the way. And those are, those are memories and those are things that stick with you. That's not going to help you make your marriage stronger by, by sleeping around. Here's my, here's my deal with that. I don't think romance is fueled by anything else but exclusivity. I think romance is actually fueled by exclusivity. You're my one and only. That's what romance is. Not, I mean, look, sex doesn't make romance. I mean, I took the biology class in school. 
Sex don't make romance. Sex makes babies. None of you are writing this down. This is genius that I'm... Real romance is fueled by exclusivity and being the person, the person you're looking for is one, right? Let's pray. Father, we come before you. We thank you for your love for us, your faithfulness. Uh, There's so much, Father, in your word that's so helpful, including this command that your son Jesus gave us. Father, help us to lean in today uh, and, and really absorb everything you're wanting to tell us by the power of your Holy Spirit. Move in this place, move in this room, uh, change our hearts. And Father, we're, we're, we're praying for the kind of marriages and relationships that honor you and provide that lifelong love that you want for us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we talked last week uh, about that one command, and then, uh, as I kind of hinted last week, we want to get into some fine print, because one of the early followers of Jesus was a guy named Paul, and he contributed a lot of the New Testament part of the Bible. So we talk about the Bible being kind of a, it's more than a book, really, it's more of a, a library, it's a collection of these great documents and letters, and Paul was an early follower of Jesus, and, and much of the New Testament is, is written by him in, in sort of a letter format. And these letters were were passed around the early church because they were trying to unpack how to live the Jesus way in a largely pagan culture because they were surrounded by the Roman Empire. Now, the Roman Empire provided a lot of things that the ancient world never had before. I mean, there's hints of even hot and cold running water in Rome. We were in Rome a couple years ago, and uh, they had streets that you still drive on in Rome that were around in the time of Jesus. I mean, this stuff blows my mind. But, uh, but Rome also provided you know, safe travel and all those things that Rome provided, but it was a largely pagan culture with all kinds of gods and shrines and things. It's a very confusing culture. And so the early church, as it moved into those places, had to try to understand how do we follow the way of Jesus in, in this world that we're in. We're still going through that, aren't we? We're still learning the way of Jesus in our modern culture. But he unpacked in one of his letters, one of Paul's letters, we call it 1 Corinthians. It's the first letter that he wrote. We think he wrote about three letters to the Corinthians. We have two of them. And this 1 Corinthians letter has a chapter in it that if you've been to any wedding ever in your life, you probably heard some of this chapter. It is, you know what it is, right? 1 Corinthians 13, right? We call it the love chapter. And in 1 Corinthians 13, I think what we see here is Paul kind of unpacking or teasing out a little bit more of the fine print of Jesus' command to love one another as I have loved you. So if you have a Bible or a device, it's up here too, but I, I think it's awesome when you have it right there, you know, uh, whatever you use to study scripture with, uh, I encourage you to do that. But 1 Corinthians, uh, and I'll, I'll get uh, 13, just start with 4 and 5, just a couple verses here. I mean, we, we could take weeks on this, and we don't have weeks. And some of you are like, no, we don't have weeks, man. Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, start with verse 4. It says this, love is patient. Okay, we could stop there. <laughs> Look at your spouse right now. How are we doing on that one? Don't you love these commands of Jesus? You're like, uh. Love is patient. I'll continue. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. Verse 5, first part there, it does, does not dishonor others. Now, right right there, I mean, we, we spent a lot of time just trying to work on that. I mean, as those were rolling by, were you like, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty good at all those. Yeah, check mark, check mark. I don't think, uh, do we, anybody's got those all nailed down? I know I don't. Love is patient. Let's talk about love is patient. In other words, love is not pushy. It's not pushy. We're pushing your way. I got to get my way. 
Love is not pushy. If you have someone in your life, if your spouse is pushy right now, look at them and say, stop it. Love is not pushy. In fact, we could say it another way. Love works at the pace of the other person. Think about that for a second. Love works at the pace of the other person. It's interesting how, you know, when, when, when we're having a conflict or whatever in a relationship and, uh, you know, it could be with a spouse or whatever, and, and we're like, well, why can't they just be more like me? Or, or how, come they, how come they just can't go at my pace? My pace is natural. Yeah, your pace is natural to you, but they have a pace too. And so love being patient means I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to take a humble approach and I'm going to move at the, your pace, not at my pace. We shouldn't be expecting everybody to go at our pace. It's natural to us, but it's not natural to someone else. And so that is a component of love. This is, again, Paul teasing out, unpacking a little bit more of what this means to love one another. I mean, look, look at it. God did this for us, if you think about it. I mean, God did not push his way with us. In fact, the scriptures tell us he, he in many ways, he accommodated. He was, being, he was willing to humble himself you know, become born of, uh, into flesh and walk among us in our mess. I mean, God literally did this for us. He didn't push his pace. He actually accommodated and moved at our pace in a way that we could understand. You know, the, the early followers would say, the word became flesh and walked among us. Didn't push us, run, around, you know, run us around. The word became flesh and walked among us. You're like, can't, he walked at our pace. This is, this is amazing to me that the God of the universe would did that. But he, he accommodated. He didn't force his capacity on us. We couldn't handle it anyway. He, he moved at our pace. For love to go the distance, we have to flex the patience muscle. Patient with each other. Working at the pace of someone else. How good are you at that? But that's something to think about. Love is patient. It works at the pace of someone else. And, and if you find yourself always pushing, that's a little hint. Hey, I need to work on that. Love is kind. I, I love that word, kind. Would you say that people in your life would consider you kind? <laughs> uh, kindness. I mean... That is a component of love. Kindness. And some people, I think, they look at kindness kind of weird. They look at kindness as sort of a weakness. You know, if you're kind to somebody, well, you know, you're, you're all, you know, passive and all that sort of thing. You're, you know, you always let someone walk all over you or something like that. I don't think that's what it is. In fact, I think unkindness is weakness. I think unkindness is weakness because you're lacking the self-control to actually treat someone well. You know what I'm saying? I don't think kindness is the weakness. I think unkindness is the real weakness there. I mean, I heard this definition of kindness, and I think it, it was helpful. And maybe it'll be helpful for you. Definition of kindness. Loaning, loaning someone else your strength rather than reminding them of their weakness. Let me read that again. I you still need some more coffee, I get that. But let me read it one more time for myself too. Loaning someone else your strength rather than reminding them of their weaknesses. Isn't that powerful? Rather than once again reminding them of their weaknesses, 
And you've heard this probably in lots of different circles in your life, people talking to each other, talking down to each other. What if you could loan someone your strength rather than reminding them of their weakness? I mean, basically, it's doing for others what they can't, for whatever in that moment, do for themselves. And look, once again, who modeled this for us? Romans 5.8, come on. What is Romans 5.8? Some of you know the scriptures. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He loaned us strength we didn't have. He loaned us something we had no capacity for. He modeled this for us. While we were still sinners, while we were stuck in sin, his love shone brightly. He modeled this for us. Love is kind. God didn't wait for us to get a grip. He came to us. That that is just such a powerful thing to know. If you've never known that, God comes to us. He he is on the rescue mission. He is on the, it's just, oh, it blows my mind every time. He loans us his grace in our weakest. Kindness is love's response to weakness. All right, love doesn't envy or boast. It is not proud. What does this mean? Love does not envy. What what does envy mean? Wanting what somebody else has, maybe. You know, they got something, you want that. And why don't I deserve that? How many times have you said that in your mind? I've said it. I deserve that. Okay, weak moment here. I drove by the high school the other day. Okay, you're going to say I'm, I'm petty. I get it. Okay. But there were like 15 cars in the high school parking lot that are way nicer than the car I drive. They're teenagers. Now, they may be their parents' car, but I felt a little envious. And I had to, I had to call that out. That's happened to me many times. And I have to get, that's the Lord's working on that. Love is not envious. It is not It doesn't boast either. Love doesn't boast. Showing how great it is. How wonderful is this? Draw attention to me. That's not love. And love is not proud. In other words, love is not threatened by the success of someone else. Now check your spirit on that. Love is not threatened by other people's success. Love can step out of the spotlight and let someone else be lifted up. This is easy to say, right? But that's the love we're talking about. Paul is unpacking that one game-changing command that Jesus said, and here's how this plays out in our relationships and in our life. Love can elevate someone else. How good are you at that? Now, once again, who exemplified this? Who was a model of this for us? In Philippians chapter 2, we read about how Jesus did this for us. He chose to be humble. The scriptures say in in Philippians 2 that he was in the very nature God, yet he humbled himself, taking the form of human flesh, walking among us. Isn't it ironic that Jesus himself never played the God card? Anybody familiar with that term, the God card? Let me explain how this works. We lived in Tennessee for several years, and uh, we, we ended up buying a house from someone. It was a bad decision. We didn't get an inspection. 
Here's why we didn't get an inspection. The guy found out that we went to church. He's like, oh, I'm a Christian too. Yeah, this is a great house. It's a bold-faced lie. The house had termite damage on the entire foundation. He played the God card. Not cool. Now, maybe you, now that I've explained it, you maybe you've had somebody do that to you. That, how horrible is that, right? Especially if Christians doing that to each other. That's just not cool. Nuh-uh. But Jesus was God, and he never played that card on people. Now, he did speak about his divinity, but it's like he didn't use it as some kind of... fact, even when he was tempted, I mean, right after being baptized, you know the story, maybe you don't, that's okay. Right after he was baptized, he got out of the water. What happened to him for like 40 days? Fasting in the desert. And what did Satan do to him? When he was at his weakness, tempted him, tempted him with power, pleasure, you name it. Even then, Jesus didn't play the God card. See, he modeled for us that love doesn't necessarily have to have the spotlight all the time. You don't have to have your way. You don't have to have the light all shining on you all the time. Jesus modeled that for us. Try this, okay? Here's maybe some homework. Because I I get the feeling that sometimes this is a little hard for us. To truly celebrate when someone else has something great happen to them. And not be envious or pushy, you name it. Try this. Forgo the credit you deserve to highlight someone else. Like if you have credit, maybe you worked on a project and you're getting some accolades, but somebody else worked on the project, but you're getting all the glory. What if you could switch it and say, well, you know what? That's hard to do. Easy to say, hard to do. But can you forego the credit and let someone else have it? Listen to this. Just, just try this. Pay attention to your reaction at the success of someone else. I mean, it can happen internally, right? Now, I don't want you to become passive-aggressive, but you see something nice happen to somebody else, and you feel like, I'd kind of like that. Check your gut reaction to someone else getting something nice. You know what I mean? And that is where this, this is really hitting at. Here's the last one. Love does not dishonor others. Love does not dishonor others. It doesn't, you know, in, in other words, it doesn't, it doesn't behave disgracefully, dishonorably, indecently. That's not, that's not love. I mean, let's just, I want to talk to the guys for a second here in the room. What if, guys, we made the decision today to never dishonor another woman for the rest of our life in how we speak about them? how we think about them, how we treat them? What if we made the decision to never dishonor another woman for the rest of our life? That's a huge thing, that we would not dishonor, because that's what love does. It doesn't dishonor others. What would that look like? So I think honor is kind of a hallmark of healthy relationships, where you can honor each other. Honor one another. Philippians 2.3 says this, in humility, value others above yourselves. In, in other words, it's like treating someone else. This is how you honor somebody. It's like treating someone else like they're a VIP, like a celebrity VIP. 
If you think about it, you know, if you've ever met somebody famous, you know, you kind of get all giddy. And, and, you know, even if they're late, you don't care. You're like, that's fine. You, you defer because you don't, hey, they're, they're here. I get to meet them. You know, you get backstage passes or whatever. And, and you know, we, we defer because they're, they're the celebrity VIP. What if we could treat other people like that more and more? That they were the celebrity VIP, whether it be your spouse, the person you're dating, the person you want to date, the family member, that person at work. Treat them like a celebrity VIP. That's how we can honor. So love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not proud. It doesn't dishonor others. Now, I I get it. Some of you that are hoping to date sometime, some of you that are dating right now, you may think, well, that's not very fun. You know, being kind and being patient, and that doesn't sound like much fun. You know, I want butterflies and unicorns jumping and kisses and all hugs. All that's great. You may think that's, you know, living the way of Jesus doesn't sound very fun. But let me just put it in another way. Look, you can ignore all this advice. That's the reality. You you can ignore it, and and you can keep being dishonorable. You can keep being unkind. You can continue to be prideful, all the while looking for someone who is kind and honorable, but they ain't looking for you. You see what I'm saying? You can continue to be unkind and impatient and pushy and getting your own way and dishonorable while looking for someone who is humble and honorable and not prideful, but they ain't looking for you. Not if they're smart. This is powerful. We prepare to win. This is how we do that. We prepare whether you're in a, uh, hoping to date, whether you're dating now, whether you're in a marriage, this is how we prepare to win and to continue a lifelong love. We practice these things out, being patient, honoring one another, being kind, celebrating the success of someone else. That's how it plays out. Let's pray. Father, we come before you, and you've given us some incredible instructions here. Father, this fine print is truly the kind of... Uh, advice that makes us fine people. And Father, you, you call us to walk in these ways. Father, help us, empower us to, to in our relationships, and our dating, to become the people that we know that you're calling us to be, the people that, the people that we want to be married to and want to date are looking for. Father, help us to focus on becoming that person. Father, help us to be love, uh, loving in a patient way and kind, honoring one another. Father, empower us for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.